from playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside episode 56 of On the Board. I'm Colby McKee, out in the stratosphere. Lance Dahl is with us. Hello, how are you? Good, buddy. How you doing? Oh, pretty okay. <laughs> doing all right. Also on the line tonight, Corey Bacoskis is here. Hello. How's things on the island there, sir? Oh, it's good. Had a big day today with 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 Lance. We were playing some Among Us. It was it was a jam packed day. Fuck yeah! I've never gotten into that game. What what's it comparable to? Picture like the best day of your life and like times it by three. It's just a really great game. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. There's really no game like it. It's just I don't know. I like the lying aspect of it. And Lance fooled Ooh. me once. He was very sus, but he fooled me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> alter ego Phil. Yeah. And Poppy. That's right. Don't forget about Poppy. Or yeah, we met, we a, met guy a guy named friend. Poppy. Yeah, he's pretty That's cool. cool. There's no easy way to transition off of that, unfortunately, but uh, we will get into some sports talk. That's what we'll do here. And uh, we'll start with the Major League Baseball season. Last time we talked... They were just wrapping up game one of the World Series between the Dodgers and the Rays. Uh, the Dodgers took it handily there in game one. We were talking about if that was going to be a, a foreshadowing sign for games to come. And luckily for us, boys, I think we can all say we were treated to a fantastic World Series. A lot of drama there, at least in game four. That was a fantastic one to watch. And uh, the Dodgers ultimately take it there in game six. Uh, we'll get to the drama that was after in the post-game ceremony and whatnot. But uh, in terms of the series overall, uh, your thoughts on that? And, uh, you know, the Rays give it their ultimate fight and probably blew it in the end there, taking Snell out in Game 6. Yeah, it was uh, probably one of the best World Series in a long time, honestly. I mean, the back and forth, it didn't necessarily have... Like, like I, I just wish it had fans in it, like, full capacity, just to kind of get a feel, because the momentum was constantly changing. And I don't know if that would have played a bigger part with fans in the, in the crowd as to how, you know, the back-and-forth nature, if it would have changed or not, with, you know, obviously having a couple games in L.A. and then a couple games in Tampa. But, yeah, it was as back-and-forth as it could be right down to the final game. And as far as, you know, you look back at a full World Series for what it was, I think it was hands down one of the best ones that's been in recent memory. Yeah, that's an interesting point because, like, how crazy game four ended. Obviously, Tampa Bay had a lot of momentum going into the next game, and L.A. was able to win game five. But, like, could you imagine if they had a win like that in Tampa and was going back to Tampa the next day in game five? Like, just how differently that game would have been and how amped the fans would have been. But, yeah, it was it was a good series. You called it. I, I think I called, like, Dodgers in five, but I think you had them around six or seven. It was a lot better series than it was, and it's just a very questionable decision. For Tampa Bay to take Snell out, I mean, analytics say that you should be taking him out, but I think, you know, when you're in a do-or-die situation and your best player is on the mound, you have to just trust that he's going to get the job done. Like, I would rather lose with my best players playing than force a decision and it end up not working out. So, I mean, they got to live with that. And they're a great team. They'll probably be back soon somewhere in that capacity. But, yeah, good job to the Dodges. Yeah, the, the whole analytics situation was, was crazy to see. Twitter was blowing up uh, the minute Snell came out, and Kevin Cash had to answer for that. He obviously did. He, 
he trusted his gut, and it didn't it didn't pan out for him uh, with the the replacement there coming in and giving up the uh, the double right away and the the winning run eventually scoring there in that half of the inning. Uh, we'll touch on the Justin Turner situation. So he gets pulled in the eighth uh, for for unknown reasons. Matt Vasquez and, and Buck Martinez on the international call that we were watching here in Canada, uh, they were questioning why he got pulled. And then it gets out as they're celebrating that he tested positive. And uh, that was the reason why he got pulled. But then the video surfacing out on Twitter that he is – out amongst his teammates, he's celebrating, uh, mask is on, mask is off, he's kissing his wife or girlfriend, he's sitting beside his teammates for the team picture. Um, crazy situation, something that we hadn't had to experience so far this postseason, thank goodness. Uh, and it just it's funny that it ends up being the World Series Game 6, last game of the season, when all of this shit goes down. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot to unpack on... On that whole situation, I mean, for the most part, you can say that the MLB did a really good job, but you just look at how this was handled and the inconclusive test coming back in the second inning inexcusably. Like, why why aren't the results back before first pitch? Why aren't they back before, like, midday, the day of the game? I mean, you see it elsewhere where tests can get expedited and – you can kind of move things along and find a way to be as safe as possible. It's just, it's like, no one comes out of that situation looking good. Everyone's roasting Justin Turner as I guess is fairly warranted, but like it it kind of falls on, on everybody that, you know, the situation unfolded and it was an absolute mess. Yeah. It's just a tough situation. Like, I don't know. I don't really have much to add. You kind of just hit it on the nose, right? Like all those people that are kind of roasting Justin Turner, like I wonder how many of them are, would be doing the same thing, right? Like it's, it's tough to be so hard on him when you've been around your player or around all the players for all that time. And, you know, you theoretically could have already infected them and stuff like that. And just to come up for the celebration, like I'm not trying to defend what he did. It's just, it's easy to point fingers. It's a lot easier to point fingers than to actually, you know, put yourself in that situation. So um, I guess we'll see what the MLB does with their investigation and, you know, if they hand down any discipline. But, yeah, that's it's just tough. 100%. And, I mean, to Corey's point, I mean, yeah, he emphatically declined to stay in the clubhouse or whatever and uh, decided to join his teammates. I mean, you're right. He's been around those guys for the better part of, you know, a month in that quote-unquote bubble down there. And uh, it could be very possible that he's already done damage. So, like, what's the point of keeping him away from everyone? Uh, I can definitely see that point. I mean, it's definitely the wrong decision. You want to be safe for everyone, but everyone uh, makes their own decisions in that case. And like you said, we'll see what MLB does with their investigation, if that ends up doing anything uh probably going to be a big ass fine and that's about it to be frank with you uh but yeah great world series and i uh, really enjoyed watching that rosa reina for tampa i mean he kept his hitting streak going he was hot seager on the Dodgers side of things he was obviously deserving of mvp uh the first player to win the lcs mvp and the world series in the same year which is a pretty big feat there uh kershaw avenged his demons he pitched twice there in the world series had a fantastic uh, game one, and then followed up with a really good uh, next outing there in the series. And uh, finally, they can shed that label 
of a choke artist or bust or whatever you want to call it for Kershaw. Uh, we talked about that in the last pod, how he didn't deserve that, but now he's got a ring and he can shut everyone up with that. Yeah, it kind of cements things for Clayton Kershaw now. And uh, I was hearing stories that obviously come out after the season ends of what players go through to get ready for a year. And Clayton Kershaw worked real hard to kind of change everything from delivery to arm slot to just different ways to keep his body strong over the course of this COVID season. Um, but yeah, now now we can finally put to bed that one of, if not the best pitcher of the generation, is one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher of the generation now that he has a ring. So, so all kind of works out. Yeah, and I think the next question is, who does he pass it on to? I mean, like, you look who's behind him. Holy, like, just ah, that whole Dodgers lineup. You just see, like... From their lineup to their pitching staff, it was just like, oh, who's next? Oh, another star. Who's next? Oh, another star. Like the amount of young, talented pitchers they have on that lineup, like Urias and Dustin May, and obviously Walker Bueller, and I think that was that guy's name, Goslin, the Jesus-looking guy, Tony Goslin. <laughs> yeah, Goslin. Yeah, like they they just look absolutely stacked. Like it's almost like how did that team not win? Like oh, geez, they they're gonna be trouble for a long year or a lot of years to come. And watching uh, Gratterall pitch as well, they got from Minnesota for the Maeda yeah. trade. That guy was throwing bombs, like 100, 102 consistently there uh, in Game 6 and the whole series. I mean, he's a he's a bullet out of the bullpen. Yeah, the thing with Gratterall is that it like the velocity doesn't really do anything for me anymore, to be honest, just because like guys are consistently running it up close to that, especially from relievers. But it's the movement at 100-plus. It's the fact that it's literally going from one edge of the plate to the other at three-digit speeds. That's almost unheard of. Yeah, but nah, nah, nah. He's he's out of weight. He's he's out of shape. He weighs too much. We won't take him. Says Boston. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming. Great. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was a part of the original Mookie trade there from Boston, and then that got X made. So then they just made a separate deal with Minnesota, and uh, it all works out in the end for the Dodgers. Uh, great to see. They and their slide of, what, the 32 years they had gone without a World Series, so uh, that was cool to see. We'll go over to the NHL side of things. Uh, some more free agency talk. We talked in length last episode about all the moves made by Canadian teams and beyond. Uh, another Canadian signing, though, Alex Galchenyuk, is returning back to to uh, to Canada on a one-year, $1.05 million deal with the Ottawa Senators providing some forward depth for the Sens. Uh, like the move, boys, or doesn't quite work out for those folks? There's no reason not to. I mean, they have nothing but money in Ottawa to spend to just make the cap floor. And they're buying on a guy that, on a one-year deal, if he plays well in the first half of the season, you can flip him at the deadline and get some equity back. I don't think Alchenik's a guy that they're signing to a one-year deal with a plan of then signing to a long-term after. But he's he, he's one of those guys that needs an opportunity. Ottawa needs players, and it, it just kind of works on both sides. Yeah, you see what's kind of happening in Detroit, too, where they just need NHL kind of – I guess Alchenik's not really old, but kind of guys that have some veteran leadership to just – bury minutes so the rookies aren't having to go out there playing first line time when they're not ready so um, that works out for Ottawa they get a guy that they can give some minutes to up the middle and then obviously Galchenyuk can hopefully revitalize his career he still hasn't really found a place that's to call home 
not saying Ottawa is it, but somewhere to, to at least get a start on, on building up those stats. And then obviously, like you said, Lance, Ottawa's got a lot of those, uh, a lot of those players that they can trade at the deadline. I mean, who's, who wouldn't want Galchenyuk if he's, you know, putting up a lot of points and, and good Branson, he's a beast on, on defense. Who wouldn't want that going into playoffs? So, I mean, no harm, no foul on this this signing for Ottawa. It does seem like Galchenyuk's been in the league forever. He was drafted back in 2012, third overall. Like, he's been in the league, seems like, right from his rookie year uh, with the Canadians and, and played a long time there in Montreal. Uh, got traded there to, was it Pittsburgh? No, he was part of the Pittsburgh-Minnesota deal in recent years. Is that correct? Yeah, he went to he went to Arizona for Max Domi. That was the first trade. And then I don't right. know how he ended up in Pittsburgh. Or, That's he's right. Yeah, I think it was part of the, the Jason Zucker trade, if I'm not mistaken, there uh, last offseason. Yeah, good to see Galchenyuk find a home there in Ottawa. Uh, Calgary, they had a few signings to their name. Uh, Levo, Nesterov, and Simon joined the fray there in Cowtown. A lot of depth moves. I just seen an alert uh, earlier tonight that uh, Brad Living again, wants to add some more right side D-man to his team. I think we talked about this last offseason with the Flames that, again, he wanted to make a move on D. Uh, you, you lose Brody, and you gain Tanev, and, uh, you know, it kind of shakes up the depth of your decor. But, uh, you know, any imminent moves that really turn the needle there for the Flames on that right-hand side D? No, because I don't know where they're going to get the money or how they're going to move money out to bring the money in to satisfy that right shot defenseman. I just, to me, it, you're probably not going to find it that way. I mean, obviously every team's always looking to add, but I just, I don't know that there's any names out there that make sense at a price that Calgary's willing to pay to bring in because they're getting to the point where they're essentially dollar in dollar out. And I just, I'm not sure how many guys are at the price point that they're comfortable bringing in. Yeah, well, there's a yeah, there's a number of options. It's just whether they can do it, right? Like, I mean, Mackenzie Weger was on. Has there's been rumors he's been on the trade block for the the whole off season out of uh, out of Florida. I mean, you would take that. He's a good, solid defensive defenseman. And then obviously Sammy Vatnin is still somewhere in free agency. I don't know how he hasn't been picked up. He's a great offensive defenseman. I guess it's yeah, it's just where do you find the assets and the money to do it and. Is it worth it? Can you find the right price for those guys, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. The Dallas Stars, they released their third jersey uh, just the other day. And uh, someone in our notes, I'm guessing it was Corey, put down the EASHL jerseys, uh, yeah. quote-unquote. That's how you describe them as. Very bright and very bad. Explain your reasoning, Corey, because I, in fact, I like the jersey. I think I would definitely put some money uh, on that color scheme. I like it a lot. Yeah, it just looks like something you'd create in a video game. I don't know. They're just very, very bright. I don't know. I, I don't know. And I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about them. They're kind of basic. They're just, they just put some neon stripes. And I don't really like the logo and the random dots that are on it. And I don't know. Maybe if they, <laughs> they cut the lights before the game as they're coming out and it's all glow up and glow in the dark, that'd be pretty cool. But... I don't know. I think they could have done a lot better. It's not. It's not the worst Dallas has ever done. Those uh, those those Mooterist jerseys way back when of the the, the cow that mm. looks like a, a uterus. Do you remember those? 
I forgot that existed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, those were bad. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. Yeah, those are gross. <laughs> you guys... Like, I'm just soaking yeah, I'm just it. Googling it right yeah, now. That was... That was a dark time. It's, like, it's supposed to be a cow, wow. but it... it, uh, it Yeah. I mean... Oh, my where, gosh. And I, where do you get red from? Yeah. Oh. It was, yeah. <laughs> I'll take the new ones over that, but still, it's just very bright. <laughs> like, do they, do they glow up in the That's dark? That's ugly. Do you know if they glow up in the dark? Because that would be bad I don't know. if they do. Yeah, I don't know. We got to... Gotta figure that out. Like, if they don't, it's kind of a waste of a color scheme. But if they do, <laughs> like, all of a sudden, that becomes a great idea. Like, and then if they score goals in those jerseys, they have to, like, turn out the lights. And then they just, you just see them <laughs> skate around with just their high vis on. I think it'd be great. <laughs> I know there's a couple uh, of folks in the NHL world that wants to see, like, different colored ice. And or like a light in the, or go in the dark puck as well, uh, just to kind of enhance the game a little bit. I mean, these jerseys, if you're right, Lance, and they do light up and, and glow in the dark, that's another way to, uh, I guess, enhance the brand per se. Yeah, but anyone who wants to change the color of the ice or like have a glow puck, just like just play NHL hits and never, ever, ever watch a game again. Like, if, if you want to no. glow in the dark puck. Or if you want, like, how they tried in the All-Star game years ago and Owen Nolan was sniping top corner and they had, like, the trail on the puck, like it was NHL 99. <laughs> like, if that ever happens again, like, please, just just don't do it. It's so ugly. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm Googling right now. Didn't Buffalo try the colored ice or, like, considered it? I don't know if this is Photoshopped or not. But I remember, yeah, they had like blue, light blue ice with a blue center line and yellow blue lines. And I can't oh, tell if it's photoshopped, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't if know. If it happened, why? I'll put it like, away why? in my memory. Like, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> because some things should never happen, and that's one of them. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just question why. Like, like here's the thing. Why? If the Europeans aren't doing it, then you should like <laughs> that's that is the perfect way like to put the that. Europeans yep, that will let them try the everything like let them do the experiment right let them have tigers fighting at the intermission like let them do whatever <laughs> they want but like just give it about 10 years to just manifest over there to see if it actually sticks and then if it works bring it over and dump it in sunrise and let the panthers deal with it first and then bring it to the rest of the league I think we should have Lance be running uh, game day ops for all 30 NHL teams, oh. 31 <laughs> NHL teams. That would be a blast. Yeah, step one, <laughs> no stupid ideas. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the ice thing, that is wild. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll quickly touch on the, uh, the Mitchell-Miller situation out in Arizona. Uh, just today, the Coyotes – uh, renounced his rights to the fourth-round draft pick. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know too much about the situation. I can't really comment. Uh, if any of you boys want to kind of fill the, the folks in on, on what the whole situation is uh, with Mitchell Miller and just kind of the, uh, the terrible situation that he's put himself in uh, for some actions that he's done in, in the past. Yeah, he was. there was just a, like he was bullying um, a classmate uh, this was years ago, and I think, but I think it continued on. But yeah, just it was a, a black special needs kid named Isaiah, 
and you know just racism or racism and there's an incident where he wiped a lollipop um, on a urinal and gave it to him and um, Isaiah had to be tested for AIDS and hepatitis and all that and it's just you know just an awful story and I think the biggest thing was that um, Isaiah's mom came out recently and said like we still don't have an apology whereas Miller like wrote an apology to all 31 teams saying, you know, he's sorry for his past, but still nothing directly to Isaiah. So Arizona got a lot of flack for drafting him. And as they should, they sh- you, everybody knew what had happened before the draft. And uh, basically they announced, renounced his rights today, which like I wrote down here, like it's a good gesture, but like, you, you know, everything about these kids, how does he get drafted in the first place? Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a just very Arizona thing to do, really. I mean, you want to know why your franchise yeah. is marred in mediocrity and just not being a good franchise? There you go. There's your answer. Like, I, it, it's just wild to me. And if you want to, like, read the story, then read the story. I don't feel like giving Mitchell Miller a lot of attention because he seems like, just a fucking brat that hasn't figured out, you know, how to be a decent human in life. And I mean, his parents should be shaking their heads. Anyone that's fucking related to this kid should be shaking their heads. If you've had any kind of semblance of a conversation with him and came away thinking, yeah, he's a decent kid. You should probably be shaking your head. Like it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. Like how the problem is this story and this incident went to juvenile court and when he was 14. And this has all been ironed out. And it was not only just Mitchell Miller. There was also a second kid involved who issued an apology and was very forthcoming in how he felt and the wrongs that he committed. And Isaiah and Isaiah's family have forgiven him since. And so it's like, if you're Mitchell Miller, if you're his family, if you're his friends, you need to take five minutes think about just your life and, and where you want it to go and how you're going to get it there. It's not a joke though. Like, like I'm not kidding. It's, it's a fucking embarrassment is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A terrible situation. Uh, you guys laid it out perfectly beyond everything that happened. Like for the coyotes to draft him in the fourth round, he's not even a first round talent. Like there was so many other kids that you could have drafted. But why this guy, like you said, is completely Arizona thing to do. That's the thing, Colby. It's like he was like a second round talent. And that's, you know, not to put all the heat on Arizona, but also to put mm. all the heat on Arizona. Like a lot of the kind of murmurings was that, oh, this second round talent's available. You know, we can work on his personality later. Like that was the move because mm. they had already been, what was it? They they had been taken away draft picks already because they had tampered with the with some rookies they had spoken some rookies this season before they are allowed to of the draft right i think i'm trying to remember the story but they had been yeah so if you're thinking oh we don't have a first round pick this year but we can grab the second over or second round pick in the fourth round oh you know this will you know revamp the the uh the rebuild right like i don't know no it's a good point it's it's good context to add definitely and uh yeah, the guy's a tool bag. The guy's a, a terrible human being, and he, he gets what he deserves. And I don't really feel uh, any positive feelings towards Arizona. They they got caught cheating and tampering, like you said, Corey, and they lost picks for that, and then they do this situation, and they lose another pick. It's like, my goodness, Arizona, keep doing you, man. Just keep doing you. 
and we, we move on as a group. I guess we'll jump over to uh, the junior side of things. Uh, lots to talk about in the uh, in the three leagues. Uh, we'll start, I guess, with the central scouting rankings that came out earlier this week. Uh, Messinet Tigers forward Cole Sillinger was rated an A prospect, uh, meaning he should be drafted in the first round of next year's uh, entry draft. Peyton Krebs, or not Peyton Krebs, I'm sorry, Drew Krebs, other Tigers <laughs> the defenseman, he's rated C uh, for his ranking. Uh, a couple guys there in the dub were other A rankings as well. Um, yeah, break it down, guys. I mean, it's good to see Sillinger rated very highly. We all know how great of a talent he is. And, uh, I mean, it looks to me, I t- did a quick scan, of course, but very uh, WHL-centric in the uh, the early parts of the next year's entry draft, potentially. Yeah, yeah, good for the Tigers that they got a shout-out there. Obviously, I think we all knew that Cylinder was going to be an A, but, you know, you, I think you start to wonder where Krebs kind of fits into defensemen at his age group all around the CHL, but he's getting some recognition. I think Bjorklund started out as a C last season too and then I think he worked up to a B at some point but yeah good for them and yeah I think this is a a good year I think this past draft year was um, there's a lot of Canadians in the first round and I think next year is going to be pretty similar you know Sillinger's got a lot of competition in that first round for where he's going to finish up like I mean you mentioned the the rivalry that's been forming up the street in Edmonton with him, him and Gunther, and that's just con- continuing all throughout the CHL for that age group. So good to see that uh, Canada's kind of back on the right foot in terms of producing world-class prospects. Yeah, I mean, I, I am more impressed, honestly, with the Drew Krebs story than I am with, with Cole Sillinger. Like, Sillinger obviously is a talent who works hard, there's no doubt about it, but Let's not forget Krebs was a guy that, I mean, before last year started, there was debate if he was even going to be a, a seventh defenseman, let alone even just on the roster, maybe as just a guy in the stands. Like, there was some serious questions if Drew Krebs was even going to break camp. And he manages to break camp and kind of works his way from that seventh, eighth defenseman role into – pretty well on every other night, if not every night guy on the blue line for the Tigers. Um, it was actually just to see his development over the course of a year was, was pretty, pretty cool. Cause we haven't really seen that very often with, with guys that come through medicine hat. A lot of the time we see them as top flight players that get recognized as such uh, just looking historically or we acquire guys through trade. So to see a guy like Krebs kind of work his way up and consistently progress was uh, was really cool to see. Uh, we mentioned last episode that the uh, Western Hockey League announced that they are starting the 2020-2021 season coming up on January 8th. We now know a starting date for the OHL side of things. Uh, they're going to be starting on February 4th, so uh, just under a month difference there in their season. Uh, on the AHL side of things, they're starting on February 5th. Uh, just to keep that in your calendar logs. Uh, kind of surprising uh, on my side of things that they're starting a month later than the dub. I don't know if that's uh, for any specific reason. I know we, we joked about last week that they're going with no body checking in the OHL. Uh, we had a good conversation on that. But uh, any news and notes that you want to pass along for the OHL or, or any reason why you think they're starting a month later than the dub? I can't think of anything. I don't know. It kind of seems weird, though, that, the CHL kind of hasn't grouped those two together. 
obviously with all these uh, announcements of when people are trying or when leagues are hoping to start up, everything that's like a month later seems a little bit more realistic. Like every time that the WHL added another month, it was like, okay, that's going to be the one. And then the next one, it's like, okay, that's going to be the one. So it could very well be that WHL is kind of undershooting right now and they might have to go back to February. But I just thought that the CHL would kind of have, you know, have all their ducks in a row and all three leagues kind of playing at the same time. But I don't know. I don't get paid the, the big bucks to make those decisions. I mean, the the easiest reason that I could point to, I have no like information to back it, but I would assume just because everything is regionalized in regards to restrictions, that the CHL is kind of giving each individual league their own approach and letting them handle when they want to start the season. Uh, just because, I mean, province to province, and then within like northern northern provinces to the central part of the province to the southern part of the province everything's just so different with how it's being handled. So I would assume that's why the OHL starts later. But I, I mean, the OHL probably seems like they're on a more realistic target date, but like we've been saying, everything changes so much within a week or two weeks or a month that, I mean, shit, who knows what's going to come by the end of 2020 that could accelerate or decelerate things. You just never know. hundred percent. We'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, Yeah. Like you said, so many changes could happen. We might not see our January 8th start date here in the WHL, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, other big news and notes is Team Canada released their 47-man training camp roster for uh, the 2021 World Junior Hockey Championships. Uh, you guys kind of did a deep dive on the roster. Lots of notes on here. I'll let you guys kind of uh, debrief the training camp rosters. Uh, who's in, who's out, who got loaned, because that was a kind of a big news and notes for the loan aspect of it. And who are you surprised didn't make this 47-man roster? Yeah, Kirby Dad. Kirby Dad got loaned. I never thought I'd see him in the World Junior uniform because he didn't make it last season. But, wow, that's huge. Like, he's, you know, we're still trying to wait to see if Lafreniere is going to get uh, added to the the roster. But, I mean, Dax, a, I would say, a more important piece on Lafreniere. Like, he... I think he's just a game changer, very skilled and a big power forward. I think I don't think there's any 19-year-olds that are going to be able to touch him. No, a guy that has a full season essentially in the NHL and then is able to uh, participate in the World Juniors doesn't really happen. So uh, kind of a unique situation for, for Kirby Doc that will undoubtedly do Team Canada well. Uh, you look at their forward group, the – uh, forwards are by far the f- deepest portion of this crew. Um, it is, it, it's actually ridiculous the amount of depth they have up front, uh, and, and it's almost equally as wild to look at the depth or lack thereof on on the uh, the back end, specifically in goal. It is. Um, it is, it is tough time. No, we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't talk about goaltending no, in Canada. Is, no. I, and it's good reason. I mean, three of the five goaltenders that are invited are uh, are not drafted, which, I mean, uh-huh. kind of matters because, like, you would think what, like some of these guys just get flipped seventh-round picks, but uh, nope. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> there's, there's nothing you can say like I mean like for example Taylor Gauthier has been passed over in two drafts and he's probably the front runner or one of the perceived front runners 
to start the first game on Boxing Day for Team Canada. Like that's kind of where we're at right now with uh, with the Canadian goaltenders at the World Juniors. Yeah, there's definitely not any household names back there that even I can recognize. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, one of the guys that didn't get invited was Sebastian Costa, the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings goalie. I mean, I recognize his name, obviously, from playing here in the dub. I thought he had some good stats uh, early last year. I know they brought in a goaltender to kind of uh, make it more of a 50-50 split there if and when the playoffs happen, which they did not happen for the Oil Kings or for any team uh, in the junior realm. Uh, but, yeah, kind of surprising. I mean, Jake Neighbors also from the Oil Kings. Braden Tracy, we talked about him at the WHL trade deadline. Uh, he he moved, I believe, from Moose Jaw uh, to – refresh my memory. Where did Braden Tracy go? Victoria. Victoria. Okay, so there you go. Um, yeah. He also done – yeah, Jacob Perot as well. I mean, he's a first-round pick that didn't uh, make this team as well. Any other notable surprises or any uh, you know insight into those guys why – they potentially didn't make this 47-man roster? Yeah, I don't know about Sebastian Costa. Like, I think I mm-hmm. I love him. I hated when he was in net against the Tigers. He's just big. Um, he was He's a late 0-2, so he's going into his 18-year-old season. So he's right there with Garand and um, Tristan Lennox. So it's not like he's too young because he hasn't been drafted yet. Like, I think he's huge. I think he's 6'5", 6'6", range. He just looked technically sound, um, and he had a great start to the season. He was a big reason why Edmonton had a good start, and obviously they brought in, like you mentioned, Colby, they brought in Beck Warm from Tri-City, and those guys just were basically unstoppable um, as a one-two punch. Like, I, I don't know why Canada didn't look at him. Selfishly, I'm a little upset that Garen Bjorklund didn't get a look, but, like, I don't know. I kind of understand that his numbers weren't that great. But, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do for goaltending. Yeah, it kind of remember uh, reminds me of, of last year a little bit where they had Nico Dawes who was undrafted and um, Joel Hofer had to come in and yeah, I don't know <laughs> countless other years where it's like who's this undrafted goalie that we're putting in right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I mean, the difference with that in, in those situations is that there's a season that kicks off leading up to the World Juniors where guys like Hofer play themselves in, right? I mean, that's not going to happen this year mm-hmm. and. I'm sure Brett Brochu's a nice guy, but like when I saw that he's a buck fifty, <laughs> I was like, "Holy smokes!" Like, like slap shots mm-hmm. might carry this dude into the goal. Like, like if he gets hit with a puck too hard, I don't know what's going to happen. He might just disintegrate. But I mean, his numbers were legit in London. Over forty-two games, at a two forty goals against, a nine nineteen save percentage, and one was thirty-two and six. But he was playing in London, so like I don't know what to read into that, but that was my first thought that Sebastian Costa wasn't listed. And he's honestly like, I, I would be more apt to run Garand and Costa. And obviously I don't have as much insight into these other guys, but I mean, just seeing like undrafted or, or passed over twice. And I'm just like, that's what we got. Like, I guess so. And there's nothing saying that they can't develop and they can't turn into something, but it's almost uncharted territory to an extent that the Canadian goaltenders have been this unknown. A couple other, I guess, notables. Uh, Shane Wright, the OHL exceptional player status. Uh, Very young kid, obviously. Will he make this team? We'll have to wait and see on that. Like you mentioned, Lance, they're not going to have a chance to play into this team uh, and give himself a chance to, to rack up those points, even though he is an exceptional talent. And another guy you guys have down here, uh, Xavier Simino, 
I, I Googled his stats because that's what the uh, the note here says. <laughs> Google his stats. And yeah. dude's got some fantastic st- – like he is great county numbers. And uh, early in the yeah. season, he's got 10 points in four games. My question is, how is he not okay. drafted? Like, so in his 17-year-old year, he was point per game in the queue. And then last year, he puts up like, what was it, 89 points? Yeah, 89 and, and 61. Like, nobody's – That's what I got, I don't yeah. Know. I was just doing my research, and I'm like, wait, nobody's taking a shot at this kid? Question mark? Like – I don't know. Like I, I don't know. Oh, he's he's five seven, a buck seventy four. So he, he's a tiny but man. Still, but still, like your last pick of the draft, you're not going to be like, hey, it could be a Tyler Johnson, maybe. <laughs> like that blows my mind. Anyway, yeah. I, I was just anyway a little side side note there, but yeah, Shane Wright, um, very interesting. I mean, like he's used to playing with older guys. I think I don't think he makes this team just basically because Lafreniere could possibly be back and Kirby Doc's going to be there. And, you know, you're talking in a normal year, Byfield might not be there. Could argue maybe even Cousins wouldn't be loaned if he makes Buffalo. So there's four other spots that you would that would have been available. I just think there's too many good 19-year-olds. Like, I mean, we're not even talking like Peyton Krebs would have been an amazing player for this team. And Conor McMichael's coming back. Dawson Mercer's coming back. You know, Cole Perfetti is an amazing center who might not make this team. Like this, <laughs> this, forward, oh my it's God, wild. I'm just getting goosebumps looking at these guys. I'm like Adam Beckman. Nobody's talking about Adam Beckman. He like single-handedly just ran through the WHL this season as an 18-year-old and he'll be there like, oh my God. Yeah, the forward group is is wild, but I would say, like, honestly, Shane Wright has about as good of a chance to make it as Phil Tomasino, Xavier Simino, Alex Newhook, Jacob Peltier. Like, he's really in there with all those guys. Uh, There's no reason why he couldn't make it. Like, I don't think with with Wright, if there was a season before, that he would necessarily play his way in because everyone knows – who he is and what he can do. I mean, it's pretty obvious how dynamic and how game-changing he's going to be. So I think he honestly has just as good of a shot as anyone. I don't know that he necessarily makes it, but I I think if he's there, he he has a chance. We haven't really talked on the blue line at all, but uh, like a a decent, decent setup, I would say. I mean, they they have quite a few first-rounders mixed in on the back end, which... If that's your barometer, well, there you go. You should be happy. There's quite a few. And the, and the biggest <laughs> dude that's going to be on the blue line and perhaps across the entire team if he makes it is your boy, Owen Power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no relation to JD. Apparently though, not. Hey? <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. I was waiting for you to say yeah. that. <laughs> uh, I, I love that joke. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, the defense <laughs> defense looks pretty good. Uh, yeah, boy. <laughs> no, Byram and Drysdale, I think, will be the kind of the, the quarterbacks if they bring Byram. I, well, I think, yeah, I, if he's there, then that means Colorado's probably giving him up. But, I mean, yeah, then you just kind of mix and match. Who do you need? Do you need big guys? All right, well, there's Matthew Robertson for you and – Need some or Owen Power six five. Of course he is. He's a big boy. Of course he is. He's a big boy. <laughs> He's a big boy. Just the goaltending is we. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe some guy comes out of nowhere randomly, but I don't think so. Cannot wait for the World Juniors to be taken off there Christmas Day. We talked about that last episode. Uh, inside the bubble there in Edmonton should be a great viewing experience. Uh, we'll move on. 
to trivia time, and Corey yeah. says he's got some questions tonight. Sure, I can do some. Yeah, I'm only going eight. I couldn't think of ten, so I'm only. That's a good number. That's eight. a good number. Yeah. Um, so we're doing because of the World Junior News. We're doing World Juniors um, since 2000. Or sorry, I should say oh. World Juniors and the WHL. So all the all the questions will be kind of WHL related. Okay. Are there are there any JD yeah, Power and there. Associates questions? Good. There might be one. <laughs> no. Oh. No. no, there's. Let's start with this one. All right. Which former WHL defenseman leads Canada since 2000 in the JD Power penalty minutes? Oh, wow, penalty they sponsor minutes. the penalty minutes. <laughs> they sponsored this wow. question, yeah, yeah. So is it, uh, is it A, Dion Phaneuf, or B, Cam Barker? Either you oh, can start. Maybe go to Lance. Wow. Maybe go Lance first. <laughs> the obvious okay. answer is is beyond fun enough, but like at the same time I could see Barker like I, I remember he would just take so many undisciplined penalties that he could be a viable <laughs> answer. I did Cam Barker not set some kind of record at the World Whoa. Juniors while he was there? <laughs> if he did, I don't know what it was for, but uh, I could have swore he did when he was there. Anyway, Dion Phaneuf. My question is how many times did Dion play in the World Juniors? Did he play multiple times? I'm thinking out loud. Um, how many double Dion hits did he oh, rack up yeah. that might take off of someone's head? Um, <laughs> it, 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 it seems too obvious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the opposite I way. I'm going to go right. Cam Barker. I hope so, too. Sad, sadly, no. The JD oh. Power Award goes to Dion Phaneuf. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, it was by a lot. I think Dion Phaneuf had like 43 penalty minutes and Cam Barker was in the 20s. But yeah, I think they both went for two two rounds with Team Canada. Okay. Which former WHL player is tied with Jason Spezza for most games played since the 2000 World Juniors? Is it A, Barrett Jackman or B, Jay Bomeister? That's a great question. Uh, Barrett Jackman. That's a... That's an oldie but a goodie name from the St. Louis. Um, does he even fall fall in the realm of two thousand World Juniors? Because I mean that dude, that dude's old. <laughs> I mean I know Boister's old, but I thought Jackman was. I thought he was dra- Maybe he was drafted in '99. Anyways, okay, I'm thinking I'm going to go Boister on this one. I would like Barry right, Jackman, Lance. please. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's that's your final answer. It was Jay Bomeister. Jay Bomeister. Hey. He, he went to three World Juniors as a sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen year old. Yeah, but Barrett like, Jackson was as a Barrett Jackson, Wow, so. I know <laughs> he was. Yeah. They were there together for the first couple of years, I think. God, could you imagine a Jay Bo Barrett Jackman combo <laughs> on D? You ain't getting past that. <laughs> <laughs> you are you speaking to each other? <laughs> no, Barry, Barry Jackman's just yelling at J-Bow and he's like, yeah, I just, I, I pass it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Poor J-Bow. All right, one to one. Good job, folks. Oh. We're, we're even. Who leads WHL players in points per game at the World Juniors during this time frame? Is it A, Jordan Eberle, or B, Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Mm. Preface this that Ryan Nugent Hopkins only went to one, but who leads in point per game? Who? Wow. That's a good question. See, I'm trying to remember how Nugent Hopkins did 
And I feel like he did well at the World Juniors because he was a high draft pick. And that's that's how you get drafted high is doing well, a.k.a. Tim Stutzla. Um, mm. well, well, let's face it. If Tim Stutzla did not do well in the World Juniors, might not have been a top five pick or a top three. Yeah, arguably. I'm going to go that's... with the Nuge because I heard a story where someone saw him in an elevator once and said he dressed like a mom. <laughs> I don't know what that means. What? I don't know what I that love, means. I love that that's logic. That's why I'm going to pick Nuge. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> that, that blew my mind. Um, <laughs> I think for the, the late game dramatics that we all know and love and his, uh, his crazy ability to score some game-winning goals, I'm going to go with Eberle for this one. Jordan Eberle had 26 in 12, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins had 15 yeah. in 6. So it's Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So first of all, Lance, I don't like your reasoning though, because Ryan Newton Hopkins was already drafted. Yeah, but that's, but that's how you have to talk it through. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever works. Uh, no, um, like remember, Newt was part of that. Uh, it was the lockout year, right? right. He uh, he was a nineteen, so he didn't make it as a mm. seventeen, and then he was already with Edmonton as an eighteen, and then him and. Uh, him, Eberle, and Hall actually went down to Oklahoma City and just, like, tore up the AHL for time. the first half of the season. Do you remember that? Holy Jeez. shit. Okay. All right. We continue on. Which former WHL goalie has both a gold and silver medal? We'll go to A, Jeff Glass, or B, Catahat. Do you want to clarify in English what that last one was? <laughs> Carter Hart. There you go. Oh, there you go. Oh, Get Jeff at. Glass and Carter Hart. That's a great one. I know, okay, I know Jeff Glass was the goaltender for the 2005 team that won. Carter Hart. Got a hat. Oh, my goodness. Did Car- did Carter you're saying it, in you're England. saying it wrong. <laughs> I can't even do the accent. I don't even want to try it. Get it. Um, <laughs> Did Hart ever win a gold? I'm trying to think in my brain. I'm probably be an idiot right now. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to say no, he didn't. I'm going to go Jeff Glass on this one. Well, Lance. I definitely remember Carter Hart winning a gold, and I'm pretty pretty sure I remember Carter Steve Hart Morgan. winning a silver. So I'm going to go. With oh Carter Hart. shit! Shit! <laughs> Dollar Steve Morgan. The gold, the gold. Fuck. Correct. Yes, it is Carter. Damn Hart. it, <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Yeah. So Jeff Glass was part of the gold medal, and I thought I'd hook you guys up because you might think he was the backup the year before when they got up to yeah. the Americans. But yes. All right. Carter Hart is oh, good. Job, good answer. All right. So we're kind of hit the halfway mark. So it's the <laughs> first one to name one. All right. I'm gonna present a question and it's it's all out it's 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 first one to say a Jeff name that is correct all right you guys are ready okay. <laughs> it's not just good you fucking <laughs> you said fuck. first one to say a name no, i not. said a name all right all right during the drive for five which included the 05 06 07 08 and 09 gold medal there were three whl players that were captains of those teams First one to name a captain from the Kata WHL on one of those five teams. Go. <laughs> Do you have enough? No, no. Keep going. Uh, keep going. Uh, Gets off? No, who was, the, who was the captain on that 05 team? Yevgeny Malkin. Um. <laughs> 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 <No>. Lance, are <laughs> you just clueless here or what brain. you doing? Um, but I don't think out loud like that. It's a great. Did Jonathan Taves captain the team? He did not. He what? 
No, he wasn't playing in the he WHL either. Yeah, he wasn't in the dub. Yeah. Um, Were they on the same year? Maybe, but he wasn't. He wasn't either. I, maybe, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Chris Letang was that year. I got a maple uh, dog. In he's here. not one of the picks. Dylan, I, I no, that's, that's too young. This is a tough one. Jesus, you got a hint? Yeah, sure. One, uh, the '09 captain was played in Seattle. The '08 captain played in Calgary, and the '06 captain. You know when you get too much information and then you just kind of blank out on everything. It's a lot of years played in Prince Albert. Uh, no, I stump no, you guys. We're we, we calling quits here. In us. Okay. Uh, Calgary, Seattle, and PA. Oh, and Brandon Cozen? Yes. No, uh, but you're you're yeah, you're close. Really Maybe think guess. towards the Calgary one. Yeah. Fuck. Did Thomas Hickey? I'm trying to think because that's Dub. Boom, Lance. There it is. Oh, so Hickey. Good one. Oh nine. Oh nine. Yeah. 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 He was randomly the captain when you had the guys like <laughs> Petrangelo and yeah. Subban. Yeah, anyway. But yeah. Who were the other two? Job. Carl Alsner was 08. Alsner. Shit. I thought you guys might get those two. I didn't think you were getting Kyle Chipchura. <laughs> Chipchura. <laughs> that is a greasy was, captain. Was, was he the 05 one? The 06. So uh, they, 05 was Mike Richards. They won with Richards. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me get this oh, right. God. Kyle Chipchura. <laughs> Kyle Chipchura yep. led the team uh, to a gold medal. <laughs> yes, and the only returning player from the 05 team was Cam Barker. And those two just fucking put him on her How back. Did that and let's, go, let's go. Let's oh, go. Try for two. God. Wow. Yeah. It's one of the least talked about gold medal because like 07 had obviously the Taze shootout. And I don't know. I, I haven't heard much of the 06 team, probably for good reason because none <laughs> well, of them play in the WHL anymore or in the NHL. But that would have been <laughs> just a bunch of random Canada guys. had both Canadian goaltenders, wouldn't it? Wasn't it like Dubnik and like, what was it, Pogi? Maybe. Yeah, Pogi was definitely around. Because like, I remember was right, Price. it was Dubnik and Pogi that were in that. Yeah. And then it was just that like right. an yeah. absolute hodgepodge up front with like guys like like Chip Chura apparently and <laughs> Dustin Boyd and Gu- Guillaume Latondresse. Oh, Dustin Boyd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Former yeah, Montreal Canadian. That, Man, guys Guillaume that don't play anymore, correct. Oh. Just grinding out. That'd oh look great. Anyway, we got to move on here. We, we're running yeah. out of time. Okay. Here we go. Uh, who is the most recent WHL player to captain the U-20 team? Was it A, Sam Steele, or B, Dylan Dubé? Well, I can tell you who it's not. <laughs> not nice softball not question Steele. right here. Yeah. It was, it was certainly Dylan no. Dubé. We're going, yeah, I thought I'd stump you. I, I like, will concur with that one. Uh, yeah. He's a small forward, too. <laughs> like, no, no disrespect to Sam Steele, <laughs> right. but Dylan Dubé was quite one. a memorable captain, actually. Like, there was just there was a lot of hype around Dubé being captain. And also because he's from Cochrane, if I remember oh, right. I don't remember. I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're talking like you're just like talking like Southern Alberta. Yeah, like, I, people were just very excited about Dylan Dubé being. Oh, okay. And I think just because he's from ah. like around Medicine Hat ish. Like I mean, he's only just outside Calgary, so people are like, "Hey, that guy's cool." <laughs> well, okay, guys. There's a maple bug in okay. here. I gotta, I gotta kill this. All right, continue on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Second to last one here. Who was the last current WHL coach to head coach Team Canada? Was it A, Dave Lowry, or B, Mark the Hapshide? The last current head coach to coach Team Canada? Oh, shit. I... The reason I add current oh. is because Tim Hunter was theoretically the last WHL coach, Ooh, but wow. I don't want to include him because he's ugly. <laughs> he's got to put his looks into it. 
And he got fired from he got <laughs> yeah. he got fired from Moose Jaw. So just because he doesn't have hair like you. Well, I think it was like last season. I think it's so I, did, I thought Lowry. it'd be too easy. So uh, make a little harder. You want to honestly no give reasoning to that? Or you no, just, it's you just, just got a hunch. I'm going okay. off of memory, and I feel like Habshide hasn't coached a junior team if ever in a long time. Like nothing that I remember. Like probably young too too long for my my memory to remember. Okay. I think I think Habshide was like in the late 2000s, like 2008, 2009, if I'm not mistaken. And I think I think you're right, Lance, and that Lowry was somewhere in the 2010s, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm also going to go Lowry. Wow, good memory, you guys. Good job. It was yeah. Mark Habshide was like early 200, 2000s. I think he was like the O two or O three year oh. team. But yeah, damn, good memory, you guys. I didn't know how hard to make these, so I'll give you guys. A couple. Um, <laughs> all right, last question here. This last one's worth five points, so it's anybody's <laughs> game. In the past 10 years, which would be the 2011 team and up, what is the only WHL team to not send a player to Team Canada? Is it A, Prince George, B, Medicine Hat, or C, <sighs> Tri-City? Prince George, Medicine oh Hat, or Tri-City? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, well, who's I'm going? Start with Lance. The answer here. Okay. Um, okay. So I remember Brett Connolly went to a world with Prince George, but I feel like that was in like the mid two thousands. Trying to think who the hell else would have gone from Prince George in that time. <clears throat> Tri City. I feel like there just would have been some random Tri City American that I just would not have really registered with that was there, and <laughs> I should probably know that a Tiger's gone. In this decade. But it also feels like it's been a long time. Like, when would the last Tiger have gone to the World Juniors? Like, back to Ennis? I think so. That sounds I right. I don't know. That sounds right. So, by that Jesus. logic, I'm going to say the Tigers. That Now that you say that, I mean, the only other Prince George Cougar I could think of uh, was maybe Jansen Harkins. I don't know if he went to World Juniors. What about Dana Tyrell? <laughs> oh, Dana God. Tyrell's 40 years old. <laughs> and then, like, with Tri-City, I mean, they had, like, Brendan Shinneman. And I don't know if Shinneman ever made a team. I know he was, like, a point-getter. Mm-hmm. We talked about him on the draft. Um, Oh, my goodness. And Tigers, you're right. I don't know other than Ennis on the Canada side. Because, like, Edom went, but that wasn't in the decade. I'm going to go... With Lance, I think Lance is right. I don't think we've had a Tigers in this decade, so I'm going to go Tigers. You guys are both correct, sadly. It is, yeah. The Tigers have not sent wow. anybody. Tyler Ennis was the, the last guy in 09. Uh, Prince George did send Brett Connolly. You were right on that one, Lance, uh-huh. but I think that was uh, 2012. Nice. 2012. And then uh, Tri-City sent Eric Comrie, the backup to, I think it was Zach Fucali when they won the gold there. Um, <laughs> Fucali. So, yeah, so there's uh yeah, come on, Medicine Hat. Hopefully Cylinder, but, like, it's been a while. <laughs> We've seen a few left for Hurricanes go in the last couple of years, and that's, I mean, it's good for them, but, yeah, we need to we need to pick up the rivalry there. Yeah. Um, well, I guess they've sent a lot of Europeans, but I don't know if that really counts. But uh, I think they probably would have <laughs> sent Shinkarik if he didn't get injured in his 19-year-old year. But, I mean, if ifs were skiffs, we'd all be sailors, right? <laughs> Great addition of trivia there, Corey. I, I loved it. That was really fun. That was a good job. Good Yay. work. Uh, we'll, we'll quickly wrap things up here. A couple other points to touch on NBA-wise. Uh, we talked about Daryl Morey moving on from the Houston Rockets last episode. 
He's found a new home, and he's joining Doc Rivers yeah, with the Philadelphia 76ers as their next president, signed a five-year deal with them. Uh, so that he goes from a team that had two superstars in Westbrook and Harden and is now joining a team with two superstars as well in Embiid and Simmons. Uh, how do you guys think this is going to go? And can he and Doc push this team to the next level that we've all thought the Sixers could get to uh, in previous years, but they just haven't gotten to yet? Well, didn't he get a promotion with this? Because like, wasn't he just the general manager in Houston, and now he's the team president? Like, isn't That's that- right, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of a, like a title and a role change as well. So I, I was trying to figure out like where the... I guess, like, how you justify he gets the bump up to team president, but maybe that's just a role that suits him better. And, I mean, we see a lot of presidents, especially here in in Canada with the Raptors and Masai Ujiri, you see um, someone at the top of the totem pole, quote-unquote, that has a lot of control. So I would assume that Worley's going to have a a similar approach, but it's not a bad idea. I mean, he's clearly been close to building teams before and now he gets like you said a couple stars but different skill sets and and different assets as players to work with so it's uh it it could be a fit basketball is confusing so wait so there's he's the president and there's also a gm or or yeah so and then so in toronto Masai is the president and there's also a gm what's his name his name is bobby webster okay i've kind of heard of him so who but who made the Kawhi trade that was Masai. That is backwards. What does the GM do? He's just kind of there. Hello. <laughs> well, here. because Masai didn't get into the president's role until what, Lance? Like, it's been maybe a little over a year now since he's been the actual president. He moved Bobby from, like, AGM to GM once he made the move himself. Oh, so he was the GM when he made the Kawhi trade, or? Uh, that is how I interpret it. Okay. I, I might be wrong in that, but. I know he was GF at one oh, point or another. Either way. Okay. Well, anyway. Yeah, no, but like to answer your original question, I mean, the 76ers, they got, they got quite the team now running that uh, organization. So, I mean, if anybody's going to do it, like I watched that, uh, oh, what's it called? There's a documentary that's like, a, like, I think it's five different episodes on different coaches on Netflix, and one of them was Doc Rivers. Did you guys watch that? I've seen it on my list, but I haven't actually dived into it yet. It's good, yeah. It's kind of about him and the the Celtics team that won the championship, and like, he just yeah. he's he's a very smart guy. So anyway, I mean, I think all the all the best of luck to the 76ers. Exactly, should be a a tough team there in the East if they can get all their ducks in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, news and note there in the NBA, the 2020-2021 season, they were looking to start in the new year, either late January, early February. And uh, a recent report has come out that the the league's looking to start on December 22nd, so just before the Christmas Day games, uh, maybe to increase some revenue. They understand that fans aren't going to be in the stands, uh, no matter if it's two months away, three months away, it doesn't really matter. It's not looking like it's going to be a fan-friendly zone there in the NBA or across all sports, to be frank with you. So they might as well start as early as they can, get a 70 two game season in and uh, make the revenues TV wise that way. Uh, good move for the NBA to start just before Christmas. I think in my point of view, they start before Christmas to get the eyes on that opening night and the, the nights leading up to Christmas. Then they own Christmas day as well. 
So they're going to have eyes on that, those games as well. So they get double dip in terms of uh, viewership that way. And uh, to kick off the season there just before Christmas, seems like a better move business-wise. Get a 72-game season in instead of losing money uh, on the gate or on the, uh, the TV deals that way. And it's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, they lose you know, upwards of $500 million if they start in like January or February uh, if you're a, a, a team owner of an NBA franchise. Yeah, it doesn't sound like something you want to do. Sounds like you, sounds like you want to make <laughs> not or just not lose that amount of money. Uh, by the way, just to kind of put a bow on you, Jerry, because you were asking about just kind of his movement. He signed with the Raptors in 2013. He was executive vice president and the GM. And then in 2017, he moved into the uh, president role, and that's when Bobby Webster came along. So that's kind of just the uh, just just a bow there, because then there's a mm. dude named Jeff Weltman who was around, and then old Jeffy went to the Orlando Magic. How's that going? And then oh, uh, right. and then your boy Bobby Webster came by and uh, and has been taken over ever since. But yeah, so then Bobby would have must must have made the the Kawhi trade. You're right. Well, I. I mean, it's very well known that, that Masai does a lot of the moves that, I mean, yes, Bobby, I'm assuming he has a say in it, but I think the decisions begin and end with Masai Jiri, and I think they will with the Raptors until he ever leaves. But So that's kind of, that, that's just, a, I guess, an executive look at, at what the Raptors are doing, but... Yeah, you know what? Owners want to make money. So if they could start tomorrow, they probably would. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how it's going to go. Who knows? Again, it's one of those things. I'm glad they've set a target date, but I'm not getting too excited because that is all of like seven weeks away, and that is so far in 2020. Yo, that's seven weeks away? What? Yeah, I guess. Jesus. Holy. Wow. Yeah, anyway, uh, but like the NBA players, they're not like they play on Christmas Day all the time, right? Like that's not, I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm a, I grew up in hockey, so that's just a foreign concept to me. But I guess if they're fine with it, that's, that'd be my question is if they're okay to, to not be with family on that day. But I mean, yeah, start as soon as you can, right? If you're not doing fans, you might as well start when you can, right? Hundred percent, and yeah, like I like I said, the uh, the NBA owns Christmas Day. There's those four or five games spread out all across the clocks, and uh, usually wraps up with a, a battle of LA there to wrap up the evening cap there. Uh, usually on, I think it's on TNT if I'm not mistaken, but obviously it's a little bit different here, Canadian channels wise. But uh, yeah, so uh, it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, Christmas Day if they start early enough make up those uh, a 72 games season which is pretty close to the 82 they're expected to play and uh, like you said Lance the owners make money the players don't lose out on money and it's a it's a win-win all across the board um, we'll move over to the NFL side of things and I mean our first point of of note isn't NFL quite yet he will be in the NFL very shortly but uh, breaking news tonight at least is that uh, uh, sorry, the uh, the page moved on me. Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, comes <laughs> in Tigers, uh, tested positive for COVID nineteen tonight, so he is uh, in quarantine as we speak. He's the potential first overall selection uh, next year out of Clemson. Uh, Big time quarterback. A lot of teams would love to have a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, and uh, hopefully, all the best to him. But uh, kind of a, a scary situation there if you're a Clemson Tigers fan. I I, I guess so. I, I don't know. Like, he's got COVID. 
all the best. Like, we're, <laughs> there's really nothing we can do. Like, I mean, you can dive into whether or not college football should even be a thing right now, but I mean, that's a whole different story. That I mean, it, it, it just takes too much time to dive into it. He has COVID. All all the best, Trevor. Hopefully, you get better. Yeah. Yeah, good job, Trevor. Yeah, keep going, Trevor. <laughs> well, sorry, I, I heard a rumor like that. Who was it that said? I don't know if it was this week or like a week ago that said, "If I'm Trevor Lawrence and the Jets don't win a game, I'm going back to college." <laughs> yeah, there was there was a, a retired player. It does the name escapes me right now, um, but he did he did mention that on ESPN. And I mean, the Jets are a dumpster fire. We've talked about that. And it's not looking good there. And yeah, I, I it kind of goes back to that whole, I guess, like back in the day, like Philip Rivers kind of called his spot on where to go and uh, and whatnot. And it, it could potentially be a situation like that if, if he does want to call his shot and say, hey, I'm not going to the Jets. I'll go anywhere but the Jets. Well, I mean, that's a Peyton did, didn't he? Or was it Eli? No, it might have been Eli. I, well, didn't Eli he, did that. You're right. Did, what, did he get drafted or like like – he yeah, didn't go Eli to the draft. The Chargers and the Chargers had the first overall pick, and Eli Eli just basically said, "No, nah, you're not taking me." And they were like, "But we want yeah. to." And Eli was like, "I don't want to play for you." And uh, in came the New York Football Jet Giants to uh, to save the day. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a superhero uh, story that yeah. just written years and years and years ago. And look how that turned out for both franchises. Uh, yeah, pretty okay for one. <laughs> pretty not okay for the other yeah that's true very true in terms of covid stuff i mean the uh the chargers the buccaneers the giants we just mentioned the giants they're all dealing with uh, positive covid tests among their facilities this week the Bucks and giants play each other on monday night football so that game could potentially be in question we'll have to wait and see on that but uh yeah it's uh it's another week, another round of COVID tests, and who's going to call it positive? We just never know. No, you don't. Also, uh, in the Thursday night right now with Atlanta and Carolina, uh, Calvin Ridley has left the game with an ankle injury, and uh, he won't be back. So, possible that Calvin Ridley misses a week or two. But, uh, yeah, COVID, it's sneaking up on you. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially the game of the week there uh, in the week eight slate is the Steelers Ravens. That one's going to be a big time AFC North battle. Uh, you got the undefeated Steelers. You got the Ravens coming off their bye week. Yeah, should be a lot of fun there. And I'm kind of surprised they're playing in the eleven o'clock time slot. They should be, in my opinion, they could be a Sunday or even a Monday night game. Yeah, Monday nighter would have made sense for this one. I mean two of the top teams in football right now, you could easily justify flexing them into a more primetime slot. But uh, I think, what, they get a they get a nice 11 a.m. middle of the NFL red zone day game. So so why not? 100%. Yeah, well, it's got to so, be part of the witching hour. I guess my question would be, did the Steelers, did people see the Steelers being this good this year? Or, like, is that, is the whole Chase Claypool thing kind of catching everybody off guard? So, like, they just thought that, Steelers, Ravens. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Ravens will be good. Steelers will be all right. Just not give them the the big game. It's possible. I don't think they expected the Steelers defense to be as good as it is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was kind of the question mark going into the season. I mean, they traded uh, a first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick there last year when we thought, why the hell are you trading a first-rounder for 
a team that's going nowhere. Like they were really bad last year. And then they, uh, they got Fitzpatrick. They've got a good defensive front seven and uh, they've just been absolutely killing it on the defensive side of things. And their offense, like you mentioned, Claypool and Juju and Connor and big Ben's come back and really revitalize that entire passing game. It's been incredible to watch. And uh, like I said, it should be more of a primetime game. But like you said, Lance, it'll be front and center there for red zone in the early window. Uh, and it'll be really fun to watch. Yeah, but don't worry. Monday night we have the Bucks and the Giants. Uh, so so if you're ready for, for a lot of That's scoring cool. from one team and one team to have zero people care about them or make mention of them on the broadcast, well, boy, do I have a game for you. Um, here <laughs> By the way, the Sunday night is actually pretty decent. Cowboys and Eagles, considering all the chaos that is that division. Um, the NFC East is just ridiculous. So it's actually not a bad matchup. You think that game's good? That game's hot garbage. It's not good, but I mean, they're equally as bad. So it becomes kind of interesting. <laughs> and they're, and they're, playing, that's, they're that's playing for first. I mean, you're, you're playing for first in the division. I, like, really, it doesn't matter what the record is. If you're playing for first in the division, it's kind of an important game. And <laughs> it, it has enough intrigue just because of what it means. Like, fuck me, four wins might win the division. So the, one team could be three quarters of the way there. Like, <laughs> yeah, when you got uh, Danicki there playing quarterback for York Dallas Cowboys, Danucci. that's going to be a I apologize. I don't even, that guy should not be on an NFL football field, but uh, you have to when Andy Dalton gets his lights knocked out. Well, don't worry. He's only questionable with a concussion right now. I mean, the, the way that his oh, head God. bounced off the turf in Washington, I'm not sure how he's only listed as questionable, but there's a chance. <laughs> He was in the quarterback room today taking notes. <laughs> Last but not least, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs take on the New York football Jets in a uh, kind of a revenge game for Le'Veon Bell. He just got released, what, like three weeks ago from the Jets, signs the one-year deal with the Chiefs and gets to play them basically right away, his second you know, game action there for the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, not going to be a great game because the Chiefs are favored by almost 20 points. Like, it's kind of going to be a blowout. But do you guys believe in revenge games in sports? Do you think that um, in this situation with Lev Bell, he's got a lot of hurt feelings and, uh, you know, bad bad times with the New York football Jets. Do you think he's going to go out and uh, really make his mark and show how bad of a franchise the Jets are and uh, really make his statement? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> because because the Jets suck, and so literally Lev Bell just needs to get on the field, and he'll make them look bad. Like that's <laughs> yeah. just kind of how it goes. I mean, re- revenge games can be a thing, and just the extra hype that comes around being in spots like that, and having the opportunity to kind of stick it to a former team, especially the way that it's perceived Lev Bell has been shuffled out of uh, New York and into Kansas City. It's 100% a thing. But, like, if he if he doesn't have, what, 100 yards and a touchdown, like, that might be a disappointment, honestly. Yeah, I think it helps a lot, especially when you're moving to a team that is a lot better than your past team, right? Like, it might be a different story if you're on the bad team. Like, I don't know, like Adam Banks and D1. Like it's like ah shit, you know that first game against the Hawks, it's gonna be tough. But then in the end, he's he's he gets full on revenge style. So yeah, yeah, no, you're like... right, you're right. Great reference. 
Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Good old Banksy. We're real late tonight. Uh, big thanks to everyone who has downloaded, subscribed, found us uh, wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. We're on Twitter at on the board pod. Uh, looking forward to this week's NFL football action. Uh, you know, baseball wrapped up, but it's nice to uh, still have some sports in our lives. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. For Lance Dahl, Corey Bacoskis, Colby McKee, signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On the Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes!